Drilling fluids touch just about everything in the drilling process. We're here to deconstruct the drilling process and drilling fluid concepts to provide a deeper understanding of our industry. In each episode, we'll share information, talk to interesting people, and maybe share a few stories along the way. Welcome to The Flow Line, a production of AES Drilling Fluids, brought to you by Matt Offenbacher and Justin Gautier. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Flow Line. I'm here with co-host Matt Offenbacher. Matt, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing all right. How about yourself? Doing good, doing good. Just, man, it's a new year. Things are exciting. Looking forward to 2024. But at the end of the day, man, it's just keep doing what we do best. Provide drilling fluids and solutions to all our wonderful customers and provide educational content to all the listeners. Yes. It's wild to look back and see how many episodes we've done. And constantly, we have different topics. Oftentimes, we think we've touched on something, but there's always more to uncover. This just goes to show you. It's a very complex system that has we can create conversations around so many different topics and never get bored i mean i still love chatting about all this kind of stuff and this one today i don't think we've ever even touched on so it's just another new one well we should get to it all right well gas to liquid base oils this i had not heard of it's new to me i'll be 100 percent honest with you there but matt what led you down this path you obviously either knew about it or did some research but talking about synthetic base oils made from old natty gas I think one is we are seeing some of this material being used on land in areas where diesel's prohibited. So think, you know, mostly Colorado and Wyoming. I used some of it overseas, actually. When I was working in Indonesia, there was a plant not too far away. So we had access to this material. And so I guess we've talked about base oils a lot, but yeah, carving out some specific ones, I guess the frustrating thing is in general, base oils, you know, diesel alternatives offer a few specific things, right? You know, consistent properties, probably depending on what it is, maybe, you know, health and safety benefits. And then if you're in the market of selling these things, you say a lot of other things that may or may not apply. But I think it's interesting to say, okay, where does stuff come from? What do we do with it? What do we get out of using it? Because it's out there, it can be useful. I think there's also some of this stuff being used in the Haynesville right now, actually, based on some conversations I've been having. Interesting. But, well, yeah. let's, let's dive into what it is. You have a headline here, uh, and it's labeled Fisher Tropes Process. Yeah. I, again, have not heard of this. And now looking through this, I've used or been familiar with sort of the final product. But beyond that, like getting sort of up the supply chain side of it, definitely had no idea about. But anyway... It's not really relevant, but describe Fisher Tropes process. Well, basically what you're doing is you're converting carbon dioxide and hydrogen into liquid hydrocarbons. So you'll have this feedstock, you know, coal is a big one. So a lot of this stuff, one of the big producers of this is out of South Africa, which South Africa is very coal rich, but they do not have a lot of hydrocarbons. Mm. So that's one area. The other thing, you know, I was mentioning the Germans got very heavy on this process. I'm going to go Canadian because I like the way y'all pronounce that. But they leaned on it. I mean, during World War II when they couldn't get access to oil because they were getting surrounded. Syngas, as they called it, was something that they were pursuing. But even biomass, like, you know, basically if you have a methane source, you can convert this gas material into liquid material like fuel, lubricants, paraffin, you know, other synthetic, pretty much any synthetic hydrocarbon you want if after, you know, reacting it in in the right way. And so Mm. like 
the general concept here is if you're sitting on a ton of natural gas or a ton of coal, this might be a way to get other hydrocarbons that you don't immediately have. You know, you can convert that hydrocarbon feedstock into other hydrocarbon products you could use. Wow. So it's a synthetic formation. Gotcha. Well, let's double click on that. How does it actually work? So basically you take from your natural gas, let's go with the natural gas. So a lot of our stuff is coming from there's some gas to liquid manufacturing in Qatar, for example, you know, they have a ton of natural gas. And so they refine this stuff because natural gas has one market, but imagine all the other chemicals you could sell if you could take that natural gas and turn it into other things too. Yeah. So dry reforming methane from natural gas, let's give you CH4, add it to CO2, and you get hydrogen plus CO, right? But then what that does is sort of gives you a backbone where the Fischer-Trove process reactions are going to create chains where you're, you know, in a carbon, you're breaking the carbon-oxygen bond. You have carbon-carbon, which is those like hydrocarbon chains we're looking for, yeah. right? And then what you do is you hydro-process this stuff. So it can be of a, you know, of different lengths. So you can remove impurities or you can break it down into specific lengths of what you want and distill it into things like naphtha, kerosene, gas oil, or our favorite drilling fluid base oils, right? So I've gone from natural gas, I've gone through a few refining processes, but, you know, we didn't start with crude oil, right? What we did is we took natural gas and we're putting carbons together. That's kind of where we get the synthetic concept. Mm -hmm. And we take our drilling fluid base oil, but the thing is, you know, a lot of like diesel, for example, one of the problems with diesel is it's got like some nasty stuff in it. But here I didn't start with any of that nasty stuff and I put stuff together. So I don't have any of it. Like it's never in the chain, right? I'm not cleaning up oil. It's just the oil never had it in the first place. Mm. So composition wise, you get a clean. These ones in particular are low kinematic viscosity. So good for, you know, you think about like Offshore, I mean, we've talked about benefits of lower kinematic viscosity base oils, but no BTEX, no polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. So the health and safety footprint is much, much better. Performance perspective, a little thinner than diesel in most cases. So that can help with hydraulics to some degree, a little bit more solid tolerance. And so you get a clean oil to drill with. Huh. That's, I mean, sounds good. I mean, what other kind of claims do they have out there with this stuff? Well, this is where we kind of run into the usual suspects, right? We published a paper a few years ago, kind of talking. I went through the literature and I found every single new base oil that claimed like insanely high ROP increases due to the new base oil and how you're going to drill faster because of the base oil. And guess what? We're not using any of those base oils today. And the reason is because you know what happened? the mud got dirty. Mm. The fact is when you drill with a brand new mud just about anywhere, you're going to drill a heck of a lot faster. But when you keep reusing it and you get, you know, finer solids and some of these other things, it'll regress back to the pack, you know? Other things like, oh, you know, the kinematic viscosity. Well, there's other low kinematic viscosity base oils. So the benefits are the same. You know, another one we hear a lot of is anything that has a higher aniline point, the idea is that aniline's highly aromatic. It goes into rubber, causes it to swell, so aka your motor or what have you, and increases failure rates. That's kind of true. I mean, like it's definitely part of the conversation, but you know, diesel's got a lower aniline point, and we don't chunk motors all the time because we're drilling with diesel. Right? Like it's just if it was that much of a problem, we'd know about it. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, you know, 
I've heard issues from talking to elastomer people of low kinematic viscosity actually creating issues due to, you know, friction because diesel being thicker, slightly more lubricious. And then, you know, the one that eats at me is there is some literature out there using one of these where they're saying, you know, hey, here's a GTL mud versus diesel and there's shale interactions with diesel and there aren't with, you know, GTL. Here's the thing. Yes, some of the aromatic compounds in diesel are polar, right? They could act like water, if you will. There's not that many. You know, hydrocarbons are nonpolar. You're not going to get the clay swelling. You're not going to get the shale interaction. But what really upset me about that test data is looking at it and the base oil-based mud had water in the filtrate, Mm. which to me is like, okay, if we're going to do apples to apples, what I need to see is I need to see two quality muds going head to head. And I don't think those results will be the same. Mm-hmm. And some of this claim is that, you know, kerogen also has these sort of weird things to it where it would interface with diesel more readily. We know that emulsions can get stressed from kerogen interactions because we've addressed the issue through surfactant packages, changing them. So it's not an incorrect point. It's just that swapping your base oil is not the only solution. So that part kind of, you know, my message is focus on the health and safety aspect if you want to make the switch, right? Right. If HSE is like, that should be your driver, you know, regulations, goodwill, those sort of things. But technical performance, actual drilling performance, I think there are possibly some things, but they tend to get oversold. Mm. And because of that, a lot of folks look around after a few wells and say, I think we're going to go back to what we were doing. Right. Unless regulations required or whatever. And like I said, I don't have an issue with these base oils. Like they're fine. Drilled with them plenty of places. They're great. It's more so that building up people's expectations for something that they can't live up to. Right. So. No, it's because you do often get that initial spike in performance and then they're chasing it. And then you end up spending a bunch of money. And the driver is performance. Yeah, well. And it's like, that first pad was amazing. But by the third, fourth well, it was like, we didn't quite see what we were seeing at the beginning. Well, let's use it again and then again. And then come to find out, it's like, why are we doing this? Like, I talked to a customer who kind of experienced that. And they were scratching their head asking my opinion. And and I gave it. I mean, talking through some really good points. But I don't know where they're at with it now. This was just a few weeks ago. But Again, I think the focus and the driver, like you said, needs to be on the HSE part of it because that's, again, obviously performance is one thing, but I think there's more juice to squeeze out of this from HSE unless you can spend and manage your system to a point where it's like extremely low solids and this and that. But we all know when you're on a rig, it's oftentimes challenging to have laser focus on your solids control equipment day in and day out. Yeah, and guess what? It's kind of funny, but during a trial, when you spend a bunch of money and everybody's looking from the office to learn what's going on, you tend to get better results than when it became a normal thing. Yeah. So that's the other thing. Is, you know, the first couple of wells, everybody's taking all these measurements, everybody's looking at all this stuff, and lo and behold, you get really good drilling performance, and then you start to see some of that wane. And I think some of it is even just behavioral. Yeah. You know? No. Well, let, let's talk a little bit about the psychological considerations because I think this is a great point to make or a few points. I mean, so one, like clean oil, you know, our safety posters about synthetics, we try and make very clear, like, it doesn't mean that you should like 
drink this stuff. Like, right. Just cause it's not diesel doesn't mean there are like, there aren't implications. And one of them, you know, in particular, like skin irritation, when I was working in Indonesia and we were using GTL and this is true of most synthetics, but GTL in particular, people had these very acute, very select people had very acute skin irritation reactions. And I mean, this is offshore, right? So imagine if you're a solids control person, you crack open the centrifuge, you're trying to fix it, whatever you get, you know, you get some mud on your coveralls, but it doesn't smell. It's not pink. You know, you just kind of, you know, you got a stain, right? And you don't even really notice that it's touching your skin. But the thing is, it definitely will draw water out of your skin. So it'll create irritation and rashes. But I saw people have these really nasty, like swelling reactions, that sort of thing. And those, and I'm not saying this stuff is acutely irritant. I mean, it may be to certain people. We certainly saw some of those cases. But the thing we also saw is people not cleaning their coveralls because they weren't dirty enough. Yeah. Right. And so it goes back to that thing in your head of like, you're giving yourself this like chronic exposure more so by not worrying about it because it doesn't look dirty. It doesn't smell. You had base oil and it's this clear liquid, you know, Mm -hmm. it's almost like, could we dye it green just to get everybody afraid of it? It's a good point. I, as a rig hand and a mud engineer, use different base oils, especially in Canada because we couldn't use diesel. But when you get mud on, you typically the mud ends up turning black just because of solids and everything else. So, but when like the smell, right? It, it has kind of a distinct smell, or at least I don't know if we were using like the distillate eight twenty two or whatever one we were using in Canada, but which is nasty, by the way. Just <laughs> letting everybody know who's listening, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but to your point, if it doesn't smell and it doesn't have that sort of diesel characteristic, and knowing that it's oh, it's a synthetic. Yeah, you oftentimes don't worry about it. It's weird when it does get on your clothes and on your hands because, or you're even, you know, your skin is, it just psychologically doesn't feel as worse or yes. it doesn't feel as bad. And so you're like, oh, I'll just wash my hands later. But then it like seeks into your skin and you don't remember. And then that night you're like, wow, my hands are so red and dry. And like, what is going on? And like, oh, yeah, I like totally dip my hands in this clear base oil that looked like baby oil. Yeah. Which, you know what I mean? So it's, it can definitely be a little misleading if you're not being careful. Yeah, I remember one hitch I came home and my knuckles were all cracking. Like, and, and, you know, I was being pretty good. I wore gloves, you know, and and everything and, you know, even the mud lab. But my knuckles started cracking from exposure to the mud. And if I bent them, they would, you know, bleed. Yeah. I was visiting my sister up in Dallas and she's like, that's disgusting. You should do something about it. And I was like, I don't know. I guess I could go get some lotion or whatever. She's like, well, let's go right now. (laughs) But my sister lives in Dallas, Dallas, like people get dressed up to walk their dog, Dallas, (laughs) or she did at the time. So, you know, I'm like, where are we going to this place? And it was like some, you know, you walk by, like there's a Starbucks and like Ferraris parked in the lot. And then you walk by (laughs) something. I was like, can I afford this lotion? (laughs) And then it was like some like, you know, fancy male, like, I don't know, cosmetics play. One of those, like only in Dallas, would you have a brick and mortar of this thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, got some cream and it actually worked great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I was like, man, I'm bringing this back with me on the rig. I just won't show the guys, you know, <laughs> but anyway, what kind of Jergens is this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. But it's your point, man. And it's, a, again, it's, you gotta be careful. You gotta treat any base oil that you're drilling with, whether it's a synthetic or a mineral oil or a, the most greenest base, like regardless, it's like, it's not for industrial use only. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But again, there are benefits. It's just not as bad. Yeah. And so, I mean, and then one thing too is, is let's talk a little bit just on the cost side of it. Cause mm. typically again, 
typically it can be more expensive. And so oftentimes people will be a little more focused, right? A little bit more diligent on, you know, whether it's a spill or how much you're using for dilution or this and that and the other. Would you say it gets a little bit more attention from, you know, folks in the office and everyone on the rig? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it's just so interesting. We've talked about some of the challenges with solids control equipment and good solids control hands for that matter, right? And even measuring performance and regularly monitoring it, people see a different dollar number and it's higher than what they're used to. Yeah. Like the irony to me is how many conversations do we have with customers about how can we use less diesel? And we're like, fix your solids control. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, you know, we'll get somebody out there. Whatever. Well, we don't want to use a lot of shaker screens or add any more equipment. It's like, okay. I, well, I mean, I understand like there's a balance to this, right? At some yeah. point it's not worth spending the money, but there is also an economy of scale. And when you see base oil as, you know, a more expensive base oil, everybody's all of a sudden thinking of ways, how do we preserve this stuff? And so I think, you know, it just gets more attention in general as mm-hmm. far as, okay, let's be careful with it. Right. You know, and you can scream about solids control or you can, you know, well, let's get somebody out there right away. We can't have that stuff, you know, bypassing the shakers. Like, yeah, we can't. <laughs> but let's do that with diesel too, you know? Yeah, exactly. Ah, we'll get to it, you know, we'll wait till we move the rig. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. We should have an episode of just the one-liners. Yeah. And just talk about stories around one-liners. I think that'd be hilarious. Because, yeah, there's, again, to your point, it's like, oh, we'll just wait till rig move. It's yeah. Like, That's going to be like three months. Really? <laughs> yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, man, that's funny. It's a good conversation, Matt. And I'm glad we kind of dove down the rabbit hole a little bit with just like how we come to this, this type of base oil. Because, again, I've heard the term GTL and have been familiar with that as a base oil, but didn't really know where it came from. So kind of cool on the history piece of that. But anything else, Matt, any other thoughts or considerations before we wrap it up? I think it's like a lot of these things we talk about, you know, when you hear about some of these products, just proceed with caution. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Yeah. And always try and remind yourself, like, it doesn't hurt to try things, but remember the arguments for doing it and measure whether it's living up to those claims. I think that's a lot of where the confusion lies is we make a change and we don't know why we made the change. And then we wonder if it's worth having made the change. So, <laughs> yeah. Great point. Well, if anyone out there has any thoughts around this, if you're familiar with using this type of base oil, let us know. Maybe we missed something. You know, certainly there's probably more to discuss out there, but I think we hit the good high points. Hopefully you learned something today. And if you want to keep learning, you know, subscribe if you haven't already and share this episode with someone that could definitely benefit from it. You can check us out on YouTube. We've got a lot of good content out there, a lot of good educational videos for those trying to learn and who are a little more visual. Check out the website. It's packed full of information with different product information, case studies, all the rest of it. And if you want to hit us up on email, the flowline podcast at aesfluids.com and be sure to connect with us, with us on LinkedIn. And until next time, take care, everyone. Take care. Thanks for listening. Please tune in next week for another exciting episode of The Flowline. And remember, may your returns always be full and your trips always smooth. Views expressed in this program belong to participants and not their employees. The program is for informational purposes only and cannot take the place of seeking professional advice. Copyright AES Drilling Fluids.